Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Saturday. Gotcha there if you've been listening every week. Yeah, usually on Friday, but today is Saturday and I'm catching up here a little bit later in the day. Truthfully, I'm feeling a little tiny bit under the weather, nothing major, but I noticed my throat started hurting today and I thought it was just dry and it's kind of at that point where I hope I can still get rid of it, drinking lots of good immune support and germ killing stuff. And really, if you've been following this moving saga, I really feel like it's just an emotional response and not just an emotional response, I think is really telling of where our bodies are at if we can receive the message. So although I'm not happy about having a throat that feels a little scratchy, I'm taking it as a sign from my body as well, just that things are happening. And I really do recognize that not speaking my truth is making my throat, my voice feel like it needs to hide. So I'm not super, super uh, into all that's going on right now. Um, If you've been following, again, just our house is being sold here in Arizona, in Sedona. Our landlord is really difficult. And although she could wait to sell the house until we're out in a couple of months, she's choosing to just forge on ahead and sell it in a pretty poor condition with us still here. And that's kind of been the theme of the week. Um, You know, I feel very strongly that we are not going to pack up and leave every time she tells us we need to jump. Uh, Mostly because even as far as our lease agreement goes, we do have to allegedly allow them to show it, but we do not have to leave. So that felt good this week because I think initially, or I mean, I know initially she was very much thinking that every time they're going to show this house that we're going to pack up 10 children, two adults, animals and leave, you know, with 24 hours notice. And for a moment, we just kind of were in shock. Like, is that really what's going to happen? Uh, Or what? Oh, man, we're having a dog predicament here. I'm not quite sure if I can remedy this this quickly. It's so annoying to be at home trying to work in moments like this. Let's see if Jason can get them in. Well, actually, that alone is a great reason for us moving on from this home. 
It's been a great home in many ways, as I've shared. Lots of our children have been born here. It's a really difficult spot in Sedona, which is becoming increasingly cosmopolitan and busy. Um, it's a really hard spot to maintain any kind of privacy. So, you know, we have dogs like a lot of people do. Dogs want to be outside. It's a beautiful day. However, we have constant tourists, constant, constant, constant on the other side of the fence who are parking and walking up to this Buddhist temple, which is beautiful, but it's really gotten insane over the years. And, you know, that might sound really complainy. But I feel pretty validated in that too, after eight years of just this getting insane. Seriously, tour buses will pull up outside of our fence. And again, you know, people are free to do whatever. I love that people know how beautiful it is here, but it's really difficult to be a local in a town like this as it's expanding past its max. And as I've shared, literally pushing locals out. Um, We're not the only ones, of course, you know, that really can't afford to be here anymore. But as I've shared, it really is a blessing because I don't think I want to be here anymore. Um, I love Arizona. Maybe we'll stay in this state. I'm not quite sure still at this moment. Maybe we won't. But it's just gotten really touristy and, and way too busy and sort of like lost the really sacred nature, at least from my perspective. I'm sure not everyone feels that way. But, you know, between having the house being sold and kind of the constantness of people around, it's feeling a little bit much. So where was I going with that? Oh, the sore throat. So yeah, my truth is not being spoken in the way that I would love it to be right now. So there you have it, being totally honest. Um, My honest truth is that I don't want anyone here walking through my house This might not be a house I own, but this is our home and it will be for four more months. So I'm not a fan, not a fan of letting strangers in that will probably be wearing masks to traipse through our house and, you know, to possibly wake up my baby and the dogs will will bark. I don't know what it will be like, but that is feeling hard. And I'm really not quite sure even why it's feeling so hard to me. So I'm just being very open here. Um, It's something I need to sit with because this is a house we don't want to stay in. It's not as if, you know, this is our, this is our dream and it's being taken from us or anything like that. It's really, truly not that way. So what are these feelings I have around someone coming to look at it? I think it's more feeling bullied, which of course I have to accept as a way of feeling, you know, why am I allowing myself to feel bullied? It's a great question. But my truth would be no, thank you, you will wait until we're gone. And then it will be your house back and you can do whatever you want. Um, So you know, the least states we are supposed to let them in with notice. And again, I'm, I guess, trying to compromise not starting a war with every little thing and allowing these people to walk through tomorrow, even though it's literally making me have a physical reaction. So I'm aware of it and I'm taking the message and I don't know. I mean, send me your thoughts, although it'll probably be over by the time anyone does that. But what do we do when we know we aren't being in our truth, but something feels legitimately in the way of that, like, do we self-sacrifice? 
And a sore throat is a sacrifice. It's not a huge one, potentially, right? But it's a warning sign from my body. And that's how I'm taking it. So I'm just trying to take care of myself. But I'm not calling it off. I'm not, you know, I didn't text the the realtor of the landlord and say, hey, you know what, forget it. Um, they are going to walk through here tomorrow. And I'm not looking forward to it. And I know that will be the last time. So I guess I'm realizing that it's not in my truth to allow this, but it's a compromise. And that after this, a solid boundary will be drawn and lease or no lease, they're not coming. (laughs) We're not having, um, you know, a showing of this house every day of the week until it sells. So there you have it. There's my personal update and what I'm dealing with. Um, On the actual finding something side, still nothing has been resolved. And I don't know. I still don't know what that means. Um, There's a couple of phone calls we've had in for quite some time to some very far away properties that included a place for a retreat center. But for whatever reason, and I do trust this, for whatever reason, the universe is not sending us that information right now. So, of course, I don't know if that means we're not going to get it or we are at some strange drop of a hat, you know, some non-linear feeling moment. Uh, So just being in trust as much as I can. And sorry, I'm all sniffy now. Uh, We did see a house a couple of hours from here yesterday, hence doing the podcast today. So I don't know. I don't know where that will go or not, not go. I'm almost trying to not think about it too much. And right now just be in a space of openness and looking for signs I'm looking for signs that might say no, just as much as I'm looking for signs that might say yes, and just see where it takes us. We had considered buying a house here last year before this whole virus thing started when there were actually houses on the market. And that didn't work out, obviously. Um, But that was really difficult. Like, I don't know how people do this a lot in their lives. Um, I'm not very practiced at it. We've only owned one house and I just don't have a lot of experience in this whole world of like realtors and offers and, you know, all of the fine print and paperwork. Uh, When we put an offer in on a house last year, I was pregnant with Rumi, obviously. And I just remember being so drained, like sitting at a table in a realtor's office for literally hours signing all these papers and again, just like all the weird fine print and things um, and being so exhausted. So I'm not pregnant now. I can totally do it and I will be happy if it comes to something like that. And we are on our way to figuring this out. And as much as I trust, I won't lie, there is the figuring this out part that sometimes gets the best of me. So I know that it will be resolved and Once it is resolved, then kind of all this drama will be over too, you know? So I'm asking myself sometimes just why this is fun in a certain way. Um, Like, do I want it to be over? You know, is looking more fun than actually finding something? And I don't think so at this rate. I am pretty anxious for us to find something, whatever that means. And then to start moving, figuratively at least, in that direction. 
because we've got a lot to prepare. And if it's super far, obviously, then a lot more goes into a move like that. You know, the giant moving truck and all of that and how to get cars there. If it's close by, that would honestly take a lot off our plates in a really good way. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm like voting for (laughs) for us at this point. I think there's obvious benefits and maybe not benefits to moving far away and not knowing anyone and being in a new climate and all of the things. And then even if we were a couple of hours from here, there are still benefits and things that don't feel as great. You know, if you're not in the same community, you are starting over. So even if we're still in Arizona, the thought of starting over, which appears to be what will happen, I don't think will be in Sedona any longer. So regardless, whether we move closer by or very far, we're looking at starting over. We're looking at a whole new community that we don't know yet and and they don't know us. So that feels kind of scary, even though we've done it a lot over the course of our lives. We haven't done it in a while. And most of our kids have not done that. Most of our kids were born right here in this house. Well, that's not entirely true, but many of the children were born in Northern Arizona. So that is it. The moving update, if you were wondering, and blessings are still welcome. Just silent blessings are great. Sending some love this way. And I'm sending it back to you in whatever situation or just life circumstance that you're working through right now, because I know I'm not the only one. And part of me feels really self-centered in a sense, sharing this every podcast, because moving happens, you know, change happens. I know that it's not that special. It's not that novel, but I'm sharing just because I can. And again, sending love to all of you out there with whatever you're navigating. Hmm, I was going to pull a card for this, this uh, podcast just for fun, just because I like these cards and I'm sitting here alone. And I do have a topic I want to talk about today, but I think it'll be on the brief-ish side, hopefully. And I've just been super into cards and lots of divination tools, uh, probably just because I really am in that space of the unknown. And to me, I don't know if you're like this, but it's really nice to get a sign from the universe. And of course, that can come from sort of anywhere, not just cards. Okay, I'm just going to pull a card for this podcast. And I don't know who it's for. Might be for me. Might be for you. Might just be a collective thing as we get into some licensing conversation here. Let's see. Ooh, the divine. So this is a set of like 60 plus cards called Roots and Wings. It's one of my favorite ones, especially right now. And these aren't like... um, I mean, they're not even really spiritual, like in a sense, they're beautiful. But some of the other cards, just so you know, like community, night, um, strength. So just kind of single words. But this one that I pulled for us here today is the divine, which is sort of an unusual flavor in this deck. Um, They're usually more simple cards. So let's see in the little booklet, it just says aspect of the feminine pure flowing emotion rooted and overflowing with sympathy and compassion. Hmm. Well, that feels good. Maybe it's just a reminder 
of what really controls life. And just the expression of the divine in nature is what I'm feeling, which is something I've been kind of ruminating on just with our different choices, perhaps, or ideas of properties and locations, something that's come to me and Jason as well as like our number one thing is that we just are more connected to nature. And we realize there's a lot of ways we could do better in our normal lives. You know, we could be more conscious with how we buy food or, you know, how we get trash together, like simple household things that I feel like we've been um, just not as conscious of, honestly. And so I think this idea of living more in nature feels really important to us, not just for ourselves and like our own souls, but for our children to grow up in and also to change our lifestyle a little bit. So I don't know, of course, if that will come or what kind of like fruition that will come to you. But that's my interpretation of the divine card. And if you could see it, it's kind of like, um, these are all beautiful watercolor-esque paintings. It's kind of like a mountain in wilderness. And the brown mountain is shaped kind of like a woman. And she has some like flower jewelry and there's some kind of bodies of water like rivers that are her hair. So it is the divine, it is the feminine, but it's also depicted in nature in these cards. So take what you will. All right, so let's put those away. So I don't know that this discussion really goes with anything I've talked about yet today, but that's okay. Maybe you've skipped ahead to this part, and that's fine as well. I haven't done anything political in a while, but I was really feeling riled up this week, so I thought I would share a little bit of my soapbox around midwifery licensing once again. And I'm kind of amazed because, as many of you know, I've lived this journey. If you haven't, you can read our book, Indie Birth, A Story of Radical Birth Love, I've shared about how I gave my license back to the state of Arizona so many places, like so many podcasts, so many interviews. It's, yeah, there's a lot out there, but, you know, not everybody reads everything or listens to everything. So I always feel like it's worth talking about as it comes up naturally. And I guess the surprising part is that even after all these years and all these times of talking about it, I'm always surprised when I get like a new inspiration about it or sort of a new perspective or not really new. I guess the perspective isn't new, but like a new, yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. It it felt like a different way that I was looking at it this week. So I want to share that with you. And the way this conversation came about was with my good friend, Nathan, who many of you are familiar with. He and I have a new podcast, if you haven't seen it, called The One About the Midwife and the OB. We have just one episode released so far. You can find that on iTunes or any of the apps. And so the idea there is we're going to have conversations together. So I don't want to completely spoil it because I'm sure, I'm like 99% sure that at some point he and I will have a licensing discussion there. But I thought to myself, it was fine. It was fine to talk about it here as well, because A, we have different audiences, 
and B, I think there can never be enough talk about our rights and our choices in freedom or not freedom. So if you're wondering uh, if this winds up being a similar discussion at some point with him, you'll know why I'm doing it here, because I think it's just that important. And as conscious and as smart as I think so many women are, I mean, especially in our community, of course, in the birth community, it still catches women by surprise that midwifery and the way it's been um, made a political thing really can affect the decisions that a birthing woman feels like she can make. And of course, like, duh, ultimately can and will probably affect her birth experience. So what am I trying to say? So this is how the conversation started with Nathan. Um, I believe it was on our social somewhere. Some of you listening might know because it could have been your thread. I don't know. And it wasn't even about politics. It was about something else. I think placentas or and then it kind of morphed into um, midwives requiring ultrasound. And Nathan happened along. And that's great. We love I love when he contributes to these discussions. And I think people appreciate him there. So it's all good. And he sort of innocently said, and very confidently, which I think is sort of funny, just because it is right, like, you have to be in this world, in a sense, to know how fucked up it is. And by that, I mean, midwifery politics. Sorry, I have my computer open because I have some stuff. So, oh, well. Um, so anyway, placenta conversation morphed into him saying, you cannot be forced to get an ultrasound. There is no provider that can force you to do anything. And the job, and he's speaking from his perspective, of course, as an obstetrician, the job of the care provider is to inform as to benefits and risks. And that's all. And I'm you know, not directly quoting him. So sorry, Nathan, not that you're listening. But you know, that was the jest is like, hey, ladies, like, you can't be forced to do anything. And I had just this moment of like, holy shit, he doesn't know. And I love him. And he's great and smart. And and he's so aligned with the work we do. And the way that, you know, many of you listening, like would want to be supported, even though he's a guy. So you know, it's not like he's dumb. He's most certainly not. But as a doctor, as a guy, he had no concept of this idea that with midwifery licensing comes an obligation to the midwife to fulfill her duties to the state above and beyond what the woman wants. Period. And we get these questions still from women all the time. You know, I don't want this thing. I'm going to refuse this testing. And it's like, cool, great. You as the birthing woman, the pregnant or birthing woman, you are quote unquote allowed to refuse anything you want. Of course you are. Nobody can make you, as he said, pee in a cup. But This is where midwifery and obstetrics take off in two completely different directions. Midwives have no autonomy, licensed midwives, or anybody, whatever the title is in that state, because in some states they're just CPMs or whatever, um, in any place where a midwife is responsible to the government 
she has no autonomy. She can act like she does. She can, you know, be present in people's homes. And you can't imagine that there's anyone above her because there she is in your home listening to you. I mean, it's not like she has to call a doctor up for the average stuff, but she does not have autonomy. And that's, I guess, the awareness that felt like it opened up to me this week, even though I've actually been through it. Like the acknowledgement that not only do regulated midwives have no autonomy, but the stark contrast that is between generally male, not all, I mean, some OBs are definitely women, um, but contrast that with like the stereotypical male OB who will not be told how to run his practice. And if you're Nathan, that's great because you're a woman seeing him and sure, he's not going to make you pee in a cup. He's not going to make you get an ultrasound. He's going to give you his, um, you know, document perhaps. I don't know how he does it. But in other words, there's no one above him. And that's what struck me like lightning. There's no one above these obstetricians telling them, you can, you can't. Hey, that's been too long. Hey, that's too much. Nope. Sure, there are politics. Sure, there's malpractice. But there's not like this OB God in the sky that has sent down a list of rules and regs that they can obey or choose to disobey. They have autonomy for the most part. I mean, I don't work in that system. So as much as they can, in a system of litigation and hospital administration. So I am recognizing they probably don't have complete and total freedom. They don't have complete autonomy either. There are many doctors like Nathan, not him in particular, but other doctors who have been suspended from hospital practice. Um, Dr. Stu is a great example many, many years ago, right? That's, he's an amazing home birth doctor. He'll never go back to the hospital but he wasn't wanted there for these very reasons. So definitely there are obstetricians that have, you know, reached their max autonomy in that situation. And they either quit, I would imagine, or like Stu, they venture off and they create something new for themselves, which is really freaking cool. So, you know, not commenting on really any of the personal side of this business or conversation, just this awareness, like I said, all of a sudden that made me just kind of stop in my tracks and like want to sort of scream at women and people (laughs) in particular and say, oh my God, midwives. Yeah, you love women. Yeah, you got into this work because you want to serve people and you want to be present at birth. I get it. But you've agreed to this ridiculous set of chains, this set of handcuffs around you. And it's gotten so bad that midwives are essentially handcuffed, but they don't realize they are. So just stay with that visual for a minute. Like they're in a cell, they're actually in a cell with handcuffs on, and they don't realize it because they're so used to the limit limitations around their movement. And the restrictions have become so normal that they don't realize they don't realize they're chained and in a cell. And that's exactly what regulated midwifery is. And everybody's okay with it. And of course, not everybody is. I'm not. You probably aren't. There are many people out there that really, truly get it. But most people, they do not get it. And it's as simple to them as the stereotypical 
unlicensed midwifery is reckless and oh this one lost a baby and you know these stereotypical ways of painting this picture to enforce what is actually happening which is women that are choosing regulated midwifery as their profession are like little kids they're like little toddlers being told what they can do and and what colors they can paint with they have no autonomy they have in return very little creativity and I'm not saying that's their true nature. I think all humans are um, creative by nature, but it really gets taken out of you once your canvas is taken away. And, you know, that's what a set of rules and regulations are. So I just can't believe that this is still happening. I can't believe, okay, so here's what I can believe. I can believe that many women who are pregnant, families, consumers, for lack of a better word, I can believe that they're still in the dark because our society is just set up for blindness, really, and slavery and all of those negative visualizations that you're imagining, perhaps. So, you know, no surprise there. Licensing is kind of a scam. It makes money for the government. It doesn't improve the skill level necessarily of a person. Um, It makes it inaccessible for many people to even pursue a profession if they don't have the financial means to obtain a license. So there's all of that darkness. But as a consumer, you know, as a pregnant woman, you're pregnant for the first time, that's a whole lot to take in. And I totally get it. And I wasn't there either. So those people are just kind of bobbling along and making a lot of the classic mistakes that we talk about all the time. Oh, I thought this midwife would be natural. Oh, I thought midwifery was holistic. I thought home birth was blah, 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 blah. And they have their experience. Maybe they have one kid, maybe they have two. And then that's it. They're out of it. And their experiences were either great or not so great, or maybe in between. In other words, the politics is just too deep for the average woman to maybe engage in fully to really be able to make some change. And that's unfortunate because I really, really, truly do believe that the change should come from the women. But it's just asking a lot when we spend, you know, nine months pregnant and then maybe we don't care anymore. I mean, I'm not one of those people, but plenty of women are, you know, they're not consumed by birth. They're not consumed by politics and when they just start uncovering some of this, they're in their experience and they either learn or they don't. So that is that part of it. But I guess I'm saying the midwives, and here's where it does come back to the midwives. I always say that I don't think midwives are going to change anything, but I think there is that possibility somewhere that maybe I haven't hit on until now. Um, Because for so long, it felt like, oh, the women, the women need to make a change. And yeah, that would be great. But if that's not happening for some of the reasons I already mentioned, then it would be up to these midwives. It would be up to the upcoming midwives, the new midwives, the student midwives, the wannabe midwives, the doulas that want to become midwives, you know, all of those people to see this setup, to see this setup of regulation of women, essentially, um, and want to make a change and say, you know, like this mask thing, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And enough, if enough people said they weren't doing it, then it wouldn't be a thing. Ah. So that was a very long rant. But just think about it for a minute if you haven't. We have allowed midwifery to become a profession of toddlers 
who are fine being told what to do, how to do, when to do it. And they're fine with a completely different body of knowledge, essentially, because obstetrics is not midwifery, a different body of knowledge and those higher ups telling them how to do their job. And they're fine with it. And, you know, they're not always fine with it. But then how do people react? How do midwives react when that becomes them? Well, if they're like me, they give their license back. Uh, If they're not like me, and I wasn't um, exempt from, you know, poor behavior in the sense of I took on a license and then went against it. So I fully admit to that, although I was so unconscious, it feels like I don't even know where I was coming from exactly. Um, But what I didn't do is lie. I didn't. And I was given the chance to lie about what I had done as a bad little girl. uh, And I didn't because that didn't feel right to me. But there are many midwives out there who that's how they're getting by. It's just a matter of lying. And again, I understand as much as I can, because when the system sucks, people are trying all kinds of things to get around it and change it. But I just don't like the lying thing because it doesn't change this structure. It just allows people to kind of weasel in and out of it. And by lying, you know, an example would be, oh, uh, I'm pregnant. Let me interview you, licensed midwife. And this is a really clued in woman. So what happens when I go to 41 weeks or 42 weeks? You know, will you transfer my care? And the midwife says, well, yes, for the, you know, for the sake of the rules and regulations, that is what I'm supposed to do. But I won't do that. You know, I don't believe in these rules and regulations. I just work how I want to work. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem because it keeps the system of regulation alive in a way that really isn't working. Like, not that I think it's working anyway, but it might be for some midwives and for some women even, this could be fine with them. They like the box. The midwife is fine being told what to do. It gives her some boundaries that maybe she wouldn't be able to set on her own. And then on the other side, this pregnant woman is like, thank God for these rules and regs because I don't really trust my midwife and she doesn't know anything. And so if the rules don't say what I should do, then I won't feel safe. So there are people I imagine this works for, but the system is not working when people are being deceptive in it. And the second way that really doesn't work, the lying part, is that then women really have no idea what they're even working with. So if that's the case, then why is not having a license so bad? Um, Because, you know, all of those questions come up in that scenario, I would hope with a woman working with a midwife that's unlicensed, I would hope there are discussions about, so um, what do you think about this? Like, I know you don't have rules. The people ask me this all the time. I know you don't have rules against going past a due date, but like, what's your experience? How do you feel? Um, What would you recommend to someone? Those are all the fascinating conversations. And maybe those should be having, um, those should be had anyway even inside a licensing situation, since we're all obviously way more complicated than a set of rules on a paper. So that's my rant. I'm trying to think if I have anything to add to it. Oh, I guess I'll add that. So Nathan was surprised. He was truly and genuinely surprised that midwives are not autonomous, 
I'm not quite sure what he thought. That will be a great question for me to ask him if we talk about the same kind of thing on a podcast. Like, what did you think most midwives were doing? And could you now see why licensing would be a horrible idea? And I think I've definitely gotten him to admit to that already. It wasn't hard. Just hearing and seeing that women, a pregnant woman, really loses choice as a result of this, I think is hard for any freedom-loving human to hear. And again, just to be clear, the woman herself really can refuse anything she wants. So it's a little bit confusing in that way, right? Because people sometimes mix it up and say, oh, well, you can't have a breech baby at home in whatever state. It's like, oh, no, you can. You can have a baby, uh, as I always say, standing on your head in a teepee in a circus tent. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. However, who you're allowed to have with you does vary depending on if you choose a licensed person. So no, as a woman, you don't have to... um, agree to anything. But if your midwife has already agreed that you will agree, then she's got to bow out or get fined. And that's another place where he was really surprised because doctors don't get fined for not weighing a woman at every visit. When I was licensed and they reviewed my charts when I was in the middle of this legal debate, um, they fined me or tried to. I mean, I never paid them for that. They fined me for not writing down a weight for a woman at every single visit. And they don't care that my reason was, hey, this woman has had an eating disorder. Um, You know, we're, you know, we're not weighing her. This isn't even the state's business. But guess what? It was the state's business. So that's, again, where I'm just still dumbfounded almost 10 years later. Another example I have from my own personal practice, and again, this was during those years of the licensing battle, So I had a woman who was a new client and I went to see her one time and she was very unhealthy and she had not eaten the whole day. I think I had come in the later afternoon and we did a urine stick and she had ketones and, you know, just taking a brief history, hadn't gained a lot of weight. I think she was like, I don't know, 27 weeks or something. Um, Just not a woman in good health. And overworking, I think she had a cleaning business and she was like on her feet, cleaning all day, not eating. So this was my first impression of this woman. It was just like, oh man, we have a lot of work to do. Well, lo and behold, the woman had a history of preterm labor. And I think I knew that, but you know, okay. And so, you know, in between visits, in between the first time I had seen her and the second time I was going to see her, she went into preterm labor. And she called me and she said, oh, God, I think it's happening again. This had happened in another pregnancy. I think this is happening. And I said, well, go to the hospital. You know, there's nothing I can do for you. You already know what that feels like. Uh, You live 25 minutes from me. There's, you know, I was I was not needed to be hands on in this situation. This is a 911 call. So this woman delayed, delayed herself and Um, got to the hospital at a crucial moment. And I believe the baby was born not long after. So, you know, that's rough because that's like a micro preemie. And anyway, point being that the state tried to blame me for it. They said I should have gone over to her house 
and call 911 for her because she's not capable. She's a little child and I was her boss. And yeah, so tell me, is that how it works in the medical world? If you're seeing an obstetrician and you go into preterm labor at home, does the doctor get in trouble for not coming over to your house and calling the ambulance for you? Hell no. And again, this was the lightning bolt, just like, whoa, this is, this isn't just like home birth versus hospital birth. This is like major. This is major. And it sounds so us against them in a sense, but I'm not even really viewing it that way because I think women, midwives in particular, um, have played a very major role in how these things look right now. They have asked They have said, please regulate us. We want to be told how to do things and we want to be held ultimately responsible because it makes us feel good or whatever the reasons are. Uh, The same goes with the VBAC that I attended that started my whole licensing debate off. And again, this was foreign to me, like in my own morals and principles, this was like, I didn't comprehend. So good thing I got out of there, the licensing, I mean. Um, But yeah, so this VBAC mama, you know, had her birth. Um, But she ended up at the hospital, she did end up with a second cesarean, and she chose to go to the hospital, nothing was wrong, at least nothing that I could tell, but I trusted her, I trusted her to know that maybe something wasn't quite right. And yeah, it was the same thing that when when that came to light, and of course, I wasn't supposed to attend the VBAC in at all. So I mean, that's how that got to be a thing. But really, their complaint was just that, you know, I was supposed to have done more than I did, or I was supposed to have made a decision for her. And that's just not the way I work. And and doctors don't all work that way. So it's like this strange thing that comes back to the regulation of midwives and those rules and not even doctors at hospitals. Like, I don't think a lot of them care. And like Nathan, had no idea that this is actually how midwives are told to work. So it's this strange third party called the government um, and the licensing department. These are the ones saying, hey, you're the midwife? Well, then you should have made her. And to that, I just throw up my hands and say, really? Is this what we've gotten ourselves into at this point in history? And do midwives really know this? You know, many, many midwives, regulated or not, won't ever be in the hot seat. And I think we all just have our path with that. But maybe if you aren't really pushed to see how this works, you somehow live in this fantasy land that you're doing this work that, you know, women need you to do. And the only way for you to do it is to have this piece of paper, because that's how you keep people safe. And that's how you help more women. These are the excuses that many licensed midwives have. And again, I think it could just be the lack of experiential knowledge, um, you know, around this, they don't have the experience to have been pushed to examine what's actually happening. So isn't that shocking? Has anyone else out there ever thought about not just how licensing limits choices for women might make it hard for them to find someone, blah, 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 uh, risks a lot of people out, right? Twins, breach, V-box. So there's that whole thing. And I feel like that's more common in conversation. But this whole other idea about these midwives who have agreed to this role, that just is baffling me. 
um, really. And I guess I'm just not someone that can be told what to do. And it's not because I think I know everything, but certainly in birth situations, uh, that has nothing to do with it because I'm not supposed to know everything. Um, the mom is the one that's responsible. And I can't imagine treating another woman like a tiny child and telling her that she must do my bidding and she must go when I tell her. That's just not the way I work. That's not what I would want in my life. That's not the kind of relationship I would want to have. So something really has to shift. Something has to shift in in the minds and the hearts of women who are wanting to do this work. And I guess I'm hoping that's you. I'm not just throwing off licensing because, you know, it is a piece of paper and, and all of the other things I mentioned. I think those are good reasons, honestly, to throw off licensing. Um, but these deeper reasons and, and the way of looking at this kind of with the light really bright on it is just shocking. Like, why is a doctor in a situation where if they have a patient in the hospital, it's their choice how long, let's say, a woman pushes, right? Like they don't have another doctor telling them, I mean, unless they're a student, maybe, right? They don't have anyone telling them what to do or what's best. Again, I I totally get they do have to make choices sometimes based on, you know, other things, um, like being sued. And, and sadly for them, they work with people that probably don't want to take full responsibility. So I'm, I'm totally not blaming doctors. I'm really not. It's just amazing that they, they work in such a different manner. Um, So for a doctor, you know, if he has a patient in the hospital, and she's pushing for five hours, well, that's his choice, right? And if the monitor is looking good, and and all the things, then it's his choice. It's his patient. He's going to do he's going to do what he wants. And conversely, if he wants her to be done, because he's tired, then he'll do that too. There's no one above him saying, you know, this is a good way to behave, or this is a smart decision. It's just really crazy that midwives have agreed to let someone else make that choice in the privacy of someone else's home. That was kind of the icing on the cake, which is not new to anyone here and me as well. But imagine that you invite someone into your home um, and you're in your private space and you've paid them your own money and you have a relationship with them. And there's this weird third party out there somewhere called the government that's peering in and telling this person that you hired in your own home and paid with your own money how they should behave. And again, how are we okay with this? Like, how? I do not know. Uh, Yeah, so that's a rant. It's longer than I wanted to kind of add another little piece just for fun. Uh, So Nathan was a little surprised, as I mentioned. And maybe he, you know, maybe deep down he wasn't. It's like, how, how could this be this surprising? But it's so different. So maybe I'll just phrase it that way. So different from the way he works as a doctor. So different. So maybe he just hadn't considered how it really would be to be a midwife, especially a licensed one. So to support my case, (laughs) because that's always important. This this isn't just my experience, even though I've told you these couple of stories. Um, this has happened to midwives everywhere in all kinds of places in states where, oh, that's a great state to be licensed or whatever. No, just go on a little Google search if you know what to look for. And there are midwives talking about this. Uh, there was a blog from a couple of years back here in Arizona where um, an anonymous licensed midwife 
wrote, you know, made a whole blog and wrote several posts about just the unethicalness, if that's a word, of how this all works and how they were, and by they, I mean the licensed midwives, um, they were trained by the Department of Health to comply. And that's all. This isn't about respecting a woman. This isn't about, you know, free choice. This isn't about informed choice or informed consent or refusal. This is about compliance that their only, their only goal as a good little girl, licensed midwife, is to comply. So here in Arizona, people um, are shocked to realize that on paper, and again, each midwife is going to deal with this the way she does, I imagine, in her actual practice. But on paper, vaginal exams and labor are required. Ultrasound in pregnancy is required. And again, refuse all you want if you're the woman. But if you're the midwife, you're either going to walk out because you don't want this associated with you. You will lose your license or be fined. Um, or, you know, I don't know if there's an or. So the woman can do whatever she wants. She can say, absolutely not. I'm not getting an ultrasound in pregnancy. And the midwife must say, well, then I can't prove you're low risk. And that's the bottom line. Midwifery is only for low risk people. That is what we have been told. That is what we have agreed to. And so if I can't prove you're high risk, I cannot care for you. And again, that's where obstetrics and midwifery are completely different. So that's crazy um, because women in licensed midwifery care now need concrete proof. And again, this isn't necessarily every state, but here um, you need to prove if you're going to work with licensed midwife that you are low risk and you must prove it in the ways that they have deemed appropriate. So you can't just say, I intuit, I'm low risk or, you know, I feel great. I know there's nothing wrong with me. Nope not enough. The midwife must do something. So if she chooses to ignore that and keep serving you, um, if push comes to shove, if her records get reviewed, which they all do, by the way, if you're a licensed midwife in most places, you send every last document that is personal to every woman to the state. Did you know that? Most people don't know that. So everything the licensed midwife has, all the information on you, your pregnancy, your baby goes to the state. So she can lie. She can lie on those documents. And there are many instances here in Arizona where that became a thing in the last bunch of years. Um, Another silly rule here is that midwives must transport to the hospital if they administer any kind of anti-hemorrhagic. So Pitocin, whatever, side attack. So they have to choose to lie then. If they do administer the drug and they don't transport, then they got to lie and leave that off the chart, right? And if they decide not to lie because it's important to them, perhaps, that this department know, hey, you know, I'm a midwife and I know when to use bleeding medication. And this woman did legitimately need help to stop bleeding, but then she was fine and she refused transport then she's setting herself up for potentially losing her license. And that's exactly what happened here a bunch of years back. Um, They threatened at least one licensed midwife with the loss of her license for doing just that. So even though the midwife's um, client had said, I don't care if you give me Pitocin, I'm fine. I'm now stable. I will not go. I do not consent to transport. The midwife was the one that that all fell on. 
And it didn't matter. You know, again, it didn't matter that she said, and I'm making this up because I don't know what she said. Um, You know, hey, we're all big girls here. We're women, we're grown adults. And as a consenting or non-consenting adult, this woman did say, I refuse to be transported. Um, How does that fall back on the midwife? You know, and why aren't women in the streets riled up about this? That their own consent as a grown woman means nothing to the system and can really get their midwife in big trouble. So it's gross. And there's so many, I think devious ways this is looking even though again I think the intention is usually good Um, if a midwife chooses to lie or even a client is like hey I'll lie for you you know I don't want the government in my life I'll just lie and say whatever you didn't give me Pitocin right so there's ways that as women and just as people we found our ways around how to deal with what's actually happening when it makes us super uncomfortable and I'm guessing that people in those situations have felt super uncomfortable. Another rule here, at least, is that if a midwife does transfer care, so let's say for bleeding after birth, or even in the case of miscarriage, and this also happened here a bunch of years ago, um, someone has a miscarriage or a stillbirth, and you need to transfer care, then you're done. And midwives have been fined and, you know, have had other legal action taken upon them for continuing care for that poor postpartum mom who either lost a baby or lost too much blood. But that, by the letter of the law, is not supposed to happen. So again, you're looking at women in a system that think they're doing the best thing. They're being legitimate. um, They're out there openly practicing. But then they're really in handcuffs. And it's all just kind of embarrassing, actually, I think it's just horrifying and embarrassing that we have not risen up as women to conquer this ridiculous setup, that we are okay with needing permission from the government to invite a certain woman into our homes to witness the birth of our babies. It's absolutely insane. Okay, well, on that note, I'm going to leave you If you have questions or thoughts, always send them my way. It's been a good long while since I did anything political. So I don't know, maybe something is shifting uh, just in my own internal makeup, internal makeup lately to make that possible. I think I've been more on the chill side, perhaps since Rumi's been born, but I don't know, coming back, coming back with a vengeance for really all of you out there. And I don't mean this in a mean way, like I'm hoping people hear this and they're like, holy shit. No, like my daughters are not going to live in a world like this. My granddaughters are not going to be that kind of midwife, you know, that tiptoes around and asks for permission to do good work. No, we're done. So that's what I'm hoping for you. Uh, We do have a new course called Beginner's Guide to Radical Midwifery. Probably going to put this podcast right in there. And that's a pay what you can course. And that course, I hope, will get you so riled up about all of these things to get to a point of wanting to help. Because getting riled up and being angry is only good to a certain point. Then we have to turn it into action. And I think the best action that I know of is just the internal process for whoever you are out there that wants to be on this path. You've heard this and you're like, hell no, I want to be a midwife and I refuse to conform for all of these reasons. And we want you. So check out that beginner's guide. I think 
I'm always so bad at links. Indiebirth.org forward slash radical midwifery. If not, just email me, excuse me, and I will hook you up with all those things. Um, there's also Midwife Monday that I'm still doing on YouTube, which has been really fun. You can catch the old episodes on our YouTube channel if you've missed them. But otherwise, oh boy, I've been talking for too long. Um, it's indiebirth.org forward slash live, and that'll you know forward you to kind of the next YouTube event that's coming. And they're on Mondays right now, and they're at, let's see, well, it's not even worth telling you a time because who knows when you'll listen to this. And time zones. Time zones have been my nemesis lately because, yeah, Arizona doesn't change when everyone else does. So check out that page to join me on Midwife Monday. And as always, I love hearing your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your topic ideas right to my email. That's a beautiful place to receive them and to receive you and, yeah, to contribute. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.